In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. How many of you would like to have promises from the Lord like that? That was Paul's promise. And then he says, but none of these things move me. They don't distract me. They don't hinder me. I know these are the things that are coming. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. What a way to finish your life. What a way. What a way to live your life undistracted. Committed to the call of God upon you. Having the determination in your life to finish the course. that That's a message in itself. Knowing that you're running the right race. Knowing the course that's been set out for you to run. And you're not just doing something that somebody else wants you to do. But you're doing what God has created you to do. But what a wonderful way to finish a life. Finishing it, as Paul said, with joy. Now just think about that for a minute. Because... You know, we kind of singled out just a little bit of the promises that God made to the Apostle Paul. That wherever you go, bonds and afflictions wait you. And Paul said that I want to finish my course or my race with joy. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so I want to talk about that tonight as well. Finishing with joy. Now, the Apostle Paul has a race that's set before him. He's used the analogy of a race quite often in his writings. And I believe one of the reasons that Paul uses the analogy of a race and, you know, it bears witness with 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is because of the discipline that a person puts themselves under before they get into a race. If I'm going to go into a race and seriously want to compete, then I'm going to prepare myself for that race. I'm not going to be so foolish as to go try to run a 26-mile marathon and I haven't tried to run for 15 minutes without stopping. I mean, that would be ludicrous. So I'm going to prepare myself and I'm going to test myself to make sure that I have the ability to run that distance and then run that distance in an appropriate time that gives me a chance to win. So there's discipline, right? There's discipline that's involved in a person who is running a race. There is an understanding of the race. There's an understanding where it starts and an understanding of where it finishes. And that's important as well. And then there is also the understanding that the winner gets a prize when they are through. They receive something when they finish the race. And so Paul uses and likes to use the analogy of a race in his spiritual life because Paul understands that it's going to take discipline in my life. If I'm going to have a serious opportunity to compete, if I'm going to have a serious desire 
in order to get into this life that God has called me to and do something with it, it is going to require discipline. And then I want to know where it starts and I want to know where it finishes. I want to know what the objective is for my life. And I want to be able to accomplish that objective before I die. Now for the Apostle Paul, it was the ability to know that my hands are clean from the blood of all men. And that cleanliness of my hands comes from the fact that I never shun to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I did. This is the race that I'm running. And wherever God opens that door for me to walk through, I'm going to walk through it. And the Apostle Paul knew that that was it. So he could run with joy, even though there were hindrances. And he could run with joy, even though he knew that there was going to be prison and bonds and afflictions that awaited him. Because this is part of my course. I know it's going to happen. The Lord told me it was going to happen. So every time I meet the bonds and the afflictions, it just assures me I'm on the right path. This is what God promised would happen in my life. And so Paul runs joyfully, knowing what it is going to take to accomplish it and knowing that he has accomplished it. We're not going to read it. Most of you know it. But Paul wrote to Timothy just prior to his death, I have finished my race. I have run the course and I have kept the faith and there is prepared for me a crown and not only for me, but for all who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so the apostle Paul knew he was the runner that finished. He knew he was the runner that prepared himself with the proper discipline and he knew that he would receive an award from Jesus Christ. You can live knowing That you have accomplished the task that God has given you to accomplish. You can live knowing that. You can know what the accomplishment of that is. And you can live such a life on earth that you have confidence when you meet Jesus in heaven. You are going to be rewarded. So what person, what believer in their right mind would not want to prepare themselves for that meeting? And to be able to receive that reward. Because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, as he alluded to the race, he said, Now all of those people that compete in the earth and run these races that men put on, they win rewards and crowns that are going to fade and corrupt. But what we are going to win is a crown that never fades and never corrupts. So how much more is it for us? How much more worthy is it? For us to run this race with diligence. And I want to talk about this a little bit tonight. Just running this race and finishing this race and what that race is. Now, I'm going to do it in a way that I believe will bless everyone. God's going to have to show you specifically what your call is, what your ministry is, and that you devote yourself to the Lord in that. All right. I'm not going to preach this as though this is what yours is, but I'm going to tell every one of you that is a born again believer. You do have a cause. You do have a purpose. You do have a calling and you do have a ministry. Now, you've got to find that out before God. But what I pray to do tonight is that the Lord would use me to encourage you on how to finish it, how to run it and how to finish it. What God is looking for. All right. So if you would look in first Timothy chapter one, the apostle Paul makes an important statement here, because a lot of times we might know what God wants us to do, but God is not sending us out to do it yet. You might understand that there's a particular call on your life. God showed me in college what he had created me for. He revealed to me what he was calling me to do, but he refused to allow me to do it. Many years went by before God actually allowed me to begin to do what he had called me to do. 
Because there had to be a proving and a testing and a placing. When God calls you to something and God anoints you for something, God does not need any man to open a door for you. He will open that door. He will place you. He will support you. You will get the job done. God will see to it. All right? But a lot of times what we do, rather than being faithful before God and qualified before God, we spend our time trying to do what we think we need to do so that we feel qualified. And we sometimes find ourselves distracted from what the Lord wants us to do. So God puts people in our life and he puts things in our life just like any good racer is going to have an instructor in his life. He's going to have a coach in his life that keeps him focused upon what is set before him. So God has put these things in our life. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes to the believers there and he said, there needs, if you're going to have contentment, be able to learn to do all things through Christ who strengthens you, you need to have godly examples in your life. And so this is important. And Paul refers to, 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 to Timothy, the fact that he is Timothy's example. His coach, how he runs this life. God puts people in our life. He puts pastors in our life. He puts churches in our life. He puts godly people in our life that help instruct us and keep us focused upon what we are supposed to do for Jesus Christ. So he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he tells us this in uh, verse 12. He said, and I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who hath enabled me. He prepared me. He gifted me. For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now that's everything Jesus did. And Paul's just, I'm thanking God for it. But the Lord did it. Now Paul had to be faithful, all right? But what did Jesus do? Look at this. Jesus enabled him and, and, and put him into ministry and counted him faithful. But Paul had to live faithful, And Jesus observed that and counted him faithful and then put him into the ministry. I wanted to read this to you. It was something that I'd read through some of the missionary books that I have. It says, at three o'clock one wintry morning, a missionary candidate climbed the steps of the examiner's home. He was shown into the study where he waited until eight o'clock for an interview. Upon arriving, the old clergyman proceeded to ask this Man who was wanting to be supported as a missionary, some basic questions. And so he comes in and he asked the missionary candidate, he said, young man, I'd like to know, first of all, if you can spell. And the young man, without hesitation, said, yes, sir, I can spell. And the old clergyman said, wonderful, spell Baker. And he spells Baker, B-A-K-E-R. And the old clergyman said, you did a wonderful job on that. He said, now let me ask you, do you know anything about addition and subtraction? And the young man said, yes, sir, I know some things about that. And the old clergyman said, that's great. He said, what is the answer? What is, what is the sum of two plus two? And the young man said, four. He said, you did wonderful. You've passed the test. I'm going to the missionary board tomorrow, and I will recommend you as our missionary. And that sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? It's like, wow, you know, what kind of test was that? And a lot of times, God is testing us with things that we may not understand them as tests. And God is looking to us to see our faithfulness at the church. And, and Randy and I's effort as your pastors to be good stewards 
of what God is entrusting us with. You know, you have people that want to be missionaries. And so like Sunday, we had a meeting with everybody that wants to be a missionary. And we said, look, that's wonderful. We have a responsibility to you. You have a responsibility to us. And there are things here that we expect of you. We expect these things of you. And some people might look at that and think, well, I don't know about that or I don't like that or yeah, that's good and da da da. But these are the things that are expected. This young man came to a, a, an old clergyman's house to be a missionary, wanting this man to support him. And so he's asked these things, asked to be there at a ridiculously early hour, made to wait for quite a long time before the old clergyman came to meet him. And asked what any elementary kid could answer. But this was the test as the old clergyman saw it. And possibly the young man might have understood this. Maybe he didn't. But he stood before the board and he said, I'd like to recommend this young man for missions. He has all of the qualifications that we are looking for in a missionary. First of all, I tested him on self-denial. I told him to be at my house at 3 o'clock in the morning. He left a warm bed, came out in the cold without a word of complaint. Second, I tried him on his promptness. I gave him a time to be at my house. He was there on time. Third, I examined him on patience. I made him wait five hours to see me after telling him to come at three. Fourth, I tested his temper. When I appeared into the room hours after he had been sitting there, He failed to show any sign of temper and didn't even question my delay. Grateful that I would give him even a moment of my time. Fifth, I tried his humility. I asked him questions that a five-year-old could answer and he showed no indignation. So you see, I believe this young man is the missionary we need. And so a lot of times we're being tested, we don't really understand it. A lot of times it might be something simple Or it might be an inconvenience. Or it might be something in our minds. We start logically trying to reason. The Apostle Paul didn't look at any of that. He just looked at the course that was set before him. And this was the course that he is going to run. So let me encourage you out of Galatians chapter 6 for just a moment tonight. And I wanted to share this with you and maybe close with one other passage. But in Galatians chapter 6. The Bible tells us, Paul teaches us, beginning in verse 9, he said, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. This is very simple, but it's very detailed, and it's not just simply easy to do. It requires discipline. It requires patience. It it requires godliness. When I look at this, and I just want to explain to you, and if you want to take down a few notes, I would encourage you to do it. Especially those, if you're really serious about meeting Jesus Christ and being prepared. I just want to give you a few things that the Lord has taught me through this passage of Scripture. And some things He's taught me just in life that I'm still learning. And I want to learn, and I want to grow in, and I want to mature in, but I'm still learning. But these are things that I have understood from God's word. I've understood from the Holy Spirit teaching me. And I've understood from listening to people that I consider to be very godly people. Listening to their conversations and listening to their wisdom. And going to them and asking them, how can I prepare myself to meet the Lord? 
How can I prepare myself to meet Jesus Christ? And so these are some of the things that I've gathered. And I'm going to share them with you this tonight. And I pray that you'll take them very seriously. The first thing is, don't become weary in well-doing. Don't become weary in well-doing. And I think that's very important. I've never grown weary of the ministry. I've grown weary in the ministry. But I've never grown weary of it. I've grown weary of problems. I've grown weary of adversity. I've grown weary of Satan. But I've never grown weary of the good that I'm able to do in the name of Jesus Christ. And I've never grown weary of that. I've never grown weary of studying God's word, of coming into this pulpit and being able to share things that God has shared with me. I've never grown weary with being able to organize and help and motivate and encourage us to reach out to the hurting or to the lonely or to those that are suffering and how we can all become a part of that. Never been weary of that. Never been weary of somebody needing some attention and calling up and saying, hey, can I come talk to you? I need to meet with you. I've never been weary of those things. Problems, yes. Sin in the camp, yes. All of those things. But that's part of it. And so we have to be careful that we don't become weary in well-doing. I've known a lot of people this, this not long ago, well, about a week and a half ago, I received a phone call from a pastor who called and said, I resigned my church. I'm just, I'm done with it. I resigned it. It's, it's done. Now, this isn't one of the nine churches we were counseling with last year. This is a brand new one. I'm done with it. And I've handed it over to so-and-so. And now so-and-so has called me saying, can you be there for me and give me some guidance along the way? You know, people are growing weary when you read letters and you see magazines that are coming in. David Wilkerson seems to really draw a lot of attention to this about the weariness of ministers in the ministry. And the Bible says we are not to grow weary in well-doing. We should be motivated by that. It should be the thing that we thrive on. The battles and the obstacles and the conflicts and the fights, that's part of what goes with it. But it's the well-doing that we get to do for God. That we should never grow tired of. We should never grow tired of the prayer meeting. We should never grow tired of studying God's word. We should never grow tired of the Sunday school. We should never grow tired of ministering to the saints. We should never grow tired of giving to missions. We should never grow tired of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never grow weary of that. And some of those things might cause us to have fatigue or tiredness in the body. Chuck Swindoll said this as far as weariness was concerned in Galatians 6, 9. I don't mean the physical weariness that comes with mowing the lawn or the mental weariness that follows a hard day of decisions and thinking. No, the weariness that is much worse. The type of weariness that is described in Galatians 6 is the weariness that comes just before you give up. The feeling of honest desperation, honest desperation. It's the dispirited father, the abandoned child, or the retiree with time on his hands for the first time in his life. It's that stage in life when motivation disappears. The children grow up. The job is lost. The wife dies. And the result is weariness. Deep, lonely, frustrated weariness. That I don't want to go on anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to have the responsibility on me anymore. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And when these things come on, we have to draw to the Lord and receive from him his strength and his encouragement. So the weariness does not overcome us. 
The second thing that I learned from these passages of Scripture is God is looking to those who have an ability to reap. An ability to reap. Not only is God looking to those who do not grow weary in well-doing, but somebody that can reap from the work that God has given them to do. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can do it. And God is not going to count somebody faithful until he can see and understand that they are also going to be able to reap. What does it say about reaping? It's right there in Galatians 6. It says that we are not to faint. There's a fainting. The fainting is the giving up. The fainting is saying, I'm through with it. I'm over. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give attention to it anymore. I've found myself many times in places like that. And thank God, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit delivered me. He delivered me from that fainting. It is very real. If it wasn't real, if it wasn't possible for us as Christians to grow weary or possible for us Christians to faint, it wouldn't be here. The fact that it's here is revealing to us this is a temptation that can come upon you. And if it does come upon you, don't succumb to it. Overcome it by the Spirit of God. Overcome it through the promises of God. And so it is the ability to reap which is to not faint. There are many who miss their harvest because they quit the day before. There are many who miss the fruit that is going to come because they just can't go on another day. And so they don't go on another day and they throw in the towel and they give up. What good is it if a farmer plants his crop and is very diligent with that? He clears the ground. He breaks up the fallow ground. He tills up the soil. He puts in the seeds. He's diligent with watering it. He does all of this. And then the weather comes and the sun comes and the rains come and the sweat comes and the weeds come up and all of the distractions come up. And the farmer is just, you know what? I'm tired of this. It's been a long time. Many weeks have gone by. There's been a lot of burns and I've been watching it and watching it and watching it. And I don't see anything that's worth it. I give up. And that farmer gives up. And he doesn't go out and tend it anymore. And he doesn't watch over it anymore. And eventually those crops begin to sprout. And they begin to bear fruit. And they are ready to be harvested, but he has no more tension with it. And so he doesn't reap it. And that entire harvest that he worked so hard to plant is now spoiled and wasted. I don't think that many things would break the heart of God more than for the Holy Spirit to work through your life in such a way that he labors and plants seeds and breaks open fallow ground and waters. And even though time goes by, if we were to give up, Just when the fruit is about to come, just when the multitudes are about to be saved, we give up and say, I'm not going to pray anymore. I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to go anymore. I don't have to be so diligent. I don't have to be so dedicated. Somebody else is. No, somebody else is not going to go and tend your field. This is your crop. You have to go get it. And so God tests us with smaller things, smaller crops. And he sees, are you going to be patient through this trial? This is, this is something small. He did it with Jeremiah. You remember that? Jeremiah's getting a little bit frustrated. And God speaks to Jeremiah. He says, let me tell you something, son. If walking with the footmen have wearied you, how are you ever going to contend with the horses? And when, and, and when, and when the Jordan River overflows its banks. This is a small thing, Jeremiah, and I'm testing you. I'm testing to see if you are going to endure as my prophet until fruit comes. And will you reap that fruit? Will you bring it in? And that's the question. Not many people will do that because that demands diligence. You know what? That demands continuing with Jesus Christ 
and loving Jesus Christ and studying and fasting and praying when you don't want to. That's what it means. That's what it means. It means doing the things that we need to do and tending to the things that God has given us to tend to when it's not comfortable and it's not fun. And guess what? When it's not convenient. What? You mean we've got to do things when it's not convenient? A lot of Christians don't live that way, but it is the truth. I despise leaving the country. I despise it. It is nothing in me at all to go anywhere out of this country other than a call. Other than a demand, other than a course that has been set for me to run. Other than an opportunity that God has opened up for me to walk through. But is it fun? Is it enjoyable? Is it fleshly entertaining? Absolutely not. Not for this guy. Not for me. It might be for others, but it is not for me. I don't enjoy it. Somebody asked, but do you enjoy it when your family gets to go? It's better. But on a scale of 1 to 10, it moves from a 1 to about a 2. I don't enjoy it. I'd rather be in Destin. I have no enjoyment of that. But I understand that what God has called upon me to do has got nothing to do with my comfort or my convenience. Every year, it seems like the Holy Spirit begins to test me and try me. Are you willing to die for this? I was speaking with some pastors this, this week from Europe. And they said, the very real reality right now of what is going on in Europe is many of us are going to die for this faith this year. That is how aggressive the opposition is in Muslim territories against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even some of the places you'll be going into. But do we not go because of that? Does Brother Keith not go because there was danger in Africa? It's not about convenience. It's not about comfort. It's about running the race and finishing the course. And God wants me there. God will get me there. I may never return from there, but that's where he wants me. And if that's the finishing of the course, you finish the course. If that's what he wants you to do, that's what he wants you to do. It's not comfortable to leave a bed on Sunday mornings and come in here to a to a prayer meeting at which some of us start at 7.30, but which is started for the whole church at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. It's, it's not comfortable. It, it's not extremely convenient. But it's necessary. It is necessary to come and to pray and not just wing it through the service that day. It's necessary. It is necessary for people who want to finish their course and stand before God to join in those prayer meetings. God is looking for that. God is looking for the people who are going to go the long distance all the way through. Oh, it's easier to stay in the bed. I understand that. It is easier. But if you had a great work that you were going to do that day, this is a tremendous thing, Pastor. And I want you to be with me and I want you to stay with me all day. And there's going to be great opportunities. And Pastor, above all things, we've got to have God move with us today or nothing is going to happen and everything is going to fail. And I need you there. I need you there. Wonderful. When does it all start? Starts at 7 o'clock. Starts at 7 o'clock. I'll be there praying. And then every el- everything else begins at 10.30. And I show up at 10.30. I'm not serious about it. I have no intent about that. I'm not planning on running some long distance mile with him. If you asked me to go with you on a mission trip and we had a big service that day and said we're going to meet for prayer at 8 o'clock. Start services at 9.30. You'd expect me there at prayer at 8 o'clock. Right? In the context of ministry, in the context of serving, 
We understand we come together on a Sunday morning. We've got people coming into this church. God knows who. People in bondage, people broken, people's lives shattered, people that are lost, people that need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, people who need wisdom, people who need comfort. We come into this church, we get into these altars, we pray, God, if you don't come today, we're we are done. It's over for us if you don't come today. There's not one life that's going to be held. God, Satan is going to attack us. And we meet together and we pray. Every minister ought to be there. Every minister, every person ought to be there. And I understand every time, every second, every moment, it's not possible. But in ministry, and I'm talking about this on Wednesday night in ministry. I'm not speaking to a bunch of lost people tonight. You know, this is the church Wednesday night. These are the people that come hungry for God. It's the reality of this life. It's not doing what's comfortable always. It's not doing what's convenient always. It's believing. Hey, do you really believe we need a move of God on a Sunday? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe the only way somebody's going to be saved is if, if God moves? And if anyone's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, it's going to be because God moves and we need God to move and Satan is going to try to, do we believe it? Then we come together in prayer and we stand against it and we call for an open heaven whereby the blessings of God can be poured out upon us. You see what I'm saying? It's that. It's the ability to reap the fruit of the things that have been sown and seeing them come in and seeing it all taking place. It is as well in Galatians chapter 6, the ability to take advantage of every opportunity that God gives you. To take advantage of every opportunity, especially those in the house of God. You take advantage of every opportunity. You serve where you can. You give where you can. You help where you can. You minister where you can. You help those that are in need, wherever it might be. Taking advantage of every opportunity. Doing good, especially to those of the household of faith. So many people may see a need and complain. That is the nature of some people. But there are others who see a need and give themselves to the Lord that they could fulfill it. And that's ministers. That, those are the types of people that are preparing themselves to meet Jesus Christ. Some people might sit in a church and they might see a bunch of needs and think, oh, you know, well, they don't, they've got all these needs and they're not being met. And so I'm not staying here. I'm going to go find some other church that's got these things in place. When maybe God was sending that individual into the church to see those needs, reveal the needs to them, so that through them God could fulfill those needs and the church could finish its course and they would have a race to run. You see what I'm saying? It's looking for the opportunities as though God is giving me something to do. It's seeing something because the Holy Spirit helped me see it. And I take it before God in prayer to believe that it really was the Lord. It's not the big things. It's not those things that we would always consider such major ministry. One of the greatest things Jesus Christ ever did was take a towel and a bowl of water and wash his disciples' feet. The simple things in life, the common things in life, the common duties in life. It's picking somebody up who needs a ride to church or taking somebody home because they need a way home or picking up some grocery for somebody that can't get out or just making a simple phone call to somebody you haven't seen in a while saying, how are you doing? I've been missing you. I don't want to know if there's anything I can pray for you about. It's these simple things that we can do. It's those little things that make the church really great. And it's when we do it as, as people looking for the opportunities that God has given me. God showed me a long time ago. He said, everything that you go through today is preparing you for your tomorrow. Everything. God taught me that. When God showed me that in my spirit, it changed the way I lived. 
Everything that I face today is for my tomorrow. It is what God is going to do. The Lord taught me a long time ago, I'll never move you forward. I'll never bring you up higher until you fill the place up that you're in. I might put you in charge of a Sunday school class, but if you don't fill it up as a Sunday school teacher, you won't do anything else. I might put you in the choir and I might let you sing and praise and worship me in front of people. But if that's all you are as a singer, I won't bring you up higher to anything else. Fill up the place that you're in. Give every ounce of energy unto God that you can in that place that you're in. Be faithful. Be valuable to God. Taking it very seriously with gratitude and excitement and enthusiasm. For the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the things that we get to do. And then the last thing that I would say is finish with joy. Finish with joy. And you're going to finish with joy if you run it with joy. It's not joy. You pick it up at the finish line. Grab that little bit of joy right before you finish. It's not the joy that I'm through. It's finishing with it. Because I've been running with it. And I just want to tell you guys attitude is extremely important. A spiritual attitude. A godly attitude. An attitude that is worthy of the Lord. A joyful attitude. What is, what is this joy? We run this race and we have this course. We have this wonderful thing that's set before us that God has called us to. And, and, and you know, when, when I hear Paul's writings, and this is how the Holy Spirit speaks to me about it, is this. Jesus Christ saved me. I was a persecutor of Christ and the church. I saw Christians imprisoned and, and even led to more horrific things. I was the cause of that. And now this same Jesus Christ that I was persecuting has saved me. He has enabled me. He counted me faithful. And this Jesus put me into the ministry. And I can't thank him enough for that. And I want to serve him with my all. And Paul lived that life with absolute joy. Not always a smile on his face. Not always this, this little bubbly thing that, that people might, might think that's joy. An inner strength and an inner fortitude that was consistent from day to day. That was as real in a great trial as it was on the highest mountaintop he could ever stand on spiritually. It was the joy of the Lord. And I think about that. There are many places in the Bible that talk about us having joy. One is walking in the light with God. Walking with Jesus Christ. Another that way that we have joy is serving in the things that God has opened up for us to serve in. You can get busy and start serving man and never have joy. But if you're serving God, God will fill you with his joy. Jesus came to give us life. Life is joy. Death's not joy, but life is joy. Jesus came to give us life. There's joy in his life. There's joy in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit makes us joyful. The Holy Spirit lifts us up. I have understood in my own life, in personal experience, and in the lives of many others, that it is the complainers and the fainters who are not spirit-filled. But I haven't found a spirit-filled person who goes around griping and complaining and murmuring and fainting. No, not because the Holy Spirit lifts you up. The Holy Spirit overcomes. The Holy Spirit prevails. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit moves you. And when you're down, He lifts you up. The Holy Spirit, a Spirit-filled life is a joyful life. 
I remember years ago when God called me and gave this responsibility to me to begin a church and to start a church and to pastor a church and and to do whatever God would bring. And, And I had no idea of what everything would be. The only thing I did know is God called me, God anointed me, and God set this apart for me to do. That's the only thing I knew. And and as a result of that, I knew, God, if this is ever going to happen, it's going to have to be you. And when all of this began to start, I had many people and ministers come to me. You're never going to make it. This is never going to work. It is never going to be successful. You don't become a pastor because you're just a nice guy. You don't become a pastor just because you're a Christian. I said, if anybody in the world knows that, I know that. You're looking at a person who ran as hard as they could from God. That's the last thing in the world I ever wanted to do. But God got me and God called me and God anointed me and God filled me to do this. And now, after fighting what I would believe to be every demon in hell over the last 22 years... Facing the type of reproach and facing the type of betrayals, facing the types of crucifixions that any practical Christian could ever go through for 20-something years. 22 years later, look where we are. Look what God is doing. Look how God is moving. Look how the sight and the course is still set before us. And we haven't changed who we are and what we are and what we believe and where we're going. It is still the same. Still the same purpose. Still the same call. We haven't changed it because there's something happening at the church down the road and seems to be working and everybody's coming. We haven't changed it for that. We've kept our sight set upon it. None of these things move me. Only what he set before me. None of these things move me. This is what God does. Let, let me. Those are just a few points out of Galatians, but I, I'd like to just read this to you in Matthew chapter 7. This is really the key to it all. This is the key to it all. Matthew 11. This is something that I've been thinking about a a lot about lately. The Lord's been bringing me here. In Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that's a wonderful scripture, isn't it? And I'm going to tell you, it's the truth. It really is the truth. I have seen people since I was a baby, distressed, anxious, tormented And I've seen them come to Jesus in a church, in an altar, in the living room of our home. And I saw Jesus give them rest. It was a gift. He gave it. Now, there are many directions I could go right now. But to try to keep this where God wants it to be. And what he shared with me is. There's a rest given and there is a rest found. And many people lose that peace and that joy and that liberty that Jesus gave them 
Because after he gave them that rest, they didn't go on to learn him. And it wore off. And they were troubled again. And they were distressed again. And they were perplexed again. There is a rest that is found once Jesus gives you rest. And the rest that is found is for your soul. And it's eternal. What is, this, this is in the context of everything I've been saying. And as far as like ministry is concerned, we're going to meet Jesus. If you're going to meet Jesus Christ and you really believe it, take advantage of every opportunity he gives you. Everyone he gives you. Realize that it's not just about comfort and convenience. But it's what he's given you to do. And go do it with all your might. And don't let anything distract you. Do it until you reap. And do all the good you can do without ever growing tired of it. And have his joy all the way through it. But this is his joy. What is learning Jesus? Second Peter chapter 1 says that everything that we need for life and godliness is through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everything. You're sitting here tonight and say, I really need this from the Lord. I really need this from the Lord. How many people today in this era of Christianity have been so deluded and so deceived that they just think they're just going to come and something's just going to happen and then everything is fixed and they have no understanding of discipline and devotion and discipleship and commitment and going on with the Lord. And thank God, God graciously grants that peace in that moment. But it's to go on in learning Jesus Christ. And I want to teach you this. This is what he taught me, one of the most valuable things I've ever learned from the Lord in my life. I pray it'll be something for you. Learning Jesus is learning and is coming to the understanding that he is completely, and as Austin Sparks says, altogether different than I am. We have a tendency, though we would never verbalize it, we have a tendency to think that Jesus is just smarter than us, holier than us, had more faith than us. Now, we had never verbalized that, but we have a tendency to get caught up into the trap of that. And the trap of that is revealed in our effort to be better. Be more holy. Have more wisdom. We try to produce it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Rather than realizing there is nothing that I could ever do in all of eternity to get myself even close to what and who you are. Nothing. And so it's going to have to be all of you, Jesus, and none of me. That was one of the greatest freedoms I've ever experienced in my life. And I was well into my Christian life when the Lord let me understand it, though probably knew it for such a long time. He let me understand it. Jesus wants us to despair of ourselves. 
so that in despairing of ourselves, we can finally live by his life. And until you and I despair of ourselves, we are going to constantly try to live by our life and do something for Jesus. And what's going to happen by that is what happens typically to a great majority of ministers today. You can tell. You can tell the ministry of the flesh. Problems. Problems in the home. Depression. Blaming others for their failure. All these things. The ministry of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Jesus wants us to despair so that we can be free from that. And we can live by his life. You see, we lose rest and we lose peace when we, and, and we all do. I mean, I'm, I'm, now listen, I'm speaking to you tonight. Because I want you to meet Jesus prepared. We lose rest and we lose peace. And we lose our joy. When we become involved in duties and responsibilities and missions and prayers and Bible studies. When in all actuality, it's all about learning Him. But we lose that. We get distracted. And how confident we can become in our flesh. We think, most every one of us, we think all of the ability is because of what we can do and in what we know. I have prayed all of my life, God save me and spare me from the pride and the arrogance that comes upon people who have a good grasp of your word. Because the truth is, it is not what you can do and it is not what you know. The truth is, it is in simply what you are and who you know. Because there are people that know the Bible far better than any of us and may never please God. And when they meet Jesus, be very disappointed. It's in knowing him. And it's becoming what he wants us to become. And we maintain that peace and we maintain that rest. Moses will never deliver Israel until he knows that he couldn't. Early in his life, he thought that he could. And it wasn't until God was able to strip Moses of every self-confidence and Moses stood before God in the burning bush saying, I cannot. You've got the wrong man. It was the first time in his life that now he could. Because he didn't believe he could do it. And how many people today are out there running about doing something for God? Maybe missing the whole time. That's not even your course. That's not even your race. And you're running so hard. And we miss it. We miss him. Early in the ministry, I was distracted in works. 
I was distracted with duties until God saved me and God showed me after a great time of affliction because of it. This is the only desire I have for you. Approach my table and minister to me. That's the only thing I want from you. And he freed me. He delivered me. And I, I know that joy that Paul's talking about. Even though it's hard. And weariness can come. And fainting can come. I know that something that is not of me is inside of me. And prevails for me. And that something is Jesus Christ. Who is my joy. Who is everything to me. How confident we become with our flesh. There's a natural tendency with us in ministry to drift away from Jesus. We don't even know it's happening. We don't. But there's a natural tendency to drift away from Jesus. And we become very involved in our duties. Our preaching. Our studying. Our Sunday school class. Our Bible studies. Our prayer meetings. Our missions. And we become very consumed with all of that. And all of a sudden, Jesus is way over there. The Apostle Paul said it like this. Everything I do in life, I do it for this one thing. That I may know him. Every time I study. It is to know Jesus. Every time I travel. It is to know Jesus. Every time I'm imprisoned. It is to know Jesus. Every time I'm praying. It is to know Jesus. Everything with me. Is to know Jesus Christ. And I count everything else. As dung to that. I will not. I will not be distracted. I will know him. And he knew him. And he walked with him. And he was bursting with joy. And strength. And endurance. And oh God alone knows the fruit that Paul. Was able to gather. God alone. Everything was to know Jesus. So you see, you can see, hey, get ready to meet Jesus. Be at the Sunday morning prayer meeting at 8 o'clock. Be at the mission meeting. Be in Sunday school. Be at church. Do, 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 do. And you miss it. You have an opportunity to learn Jesus Christ and have peace for your soul. You have an opportunity for him to make you something. You have an opportunity not to know the Bible. You have an opportunity to know God. That's why we gather for prayer. That's why we do missions. That's why we fast. That's why we study. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. And when more and more churches are shutting down their Wednesday night services and Sunday night services, I say open the doors and try to have even more because we want to know Jesus Christ. And that's why with leaders 
and ministers and people who are prepared to know Jesus Christ. There's an internal motivation to know Him. It's there. And it rules everything in their life. Everything. Dee, would you come? I want you to think about this. Some things that I wrote down here I wanted to speak to you about in this altar. We're going to sing this song in just a moment. More love, more power, more of you in my life. Because really that's what it's all about. I want to know Jesus Christ. All these other things, they happen because you become and you don't do. People who do burn out. But when it's what you are, it's your life. It's what you are. Consider your life, especially those of you that might be doing something in leadership right now. All right, Especially if you're not, then you're passionate for God. Then you consider what I'm about to say. But especially those of you who have been walking with the Lord for some time and you've been given responsibilities and some leadership in your life, consider your life before you had that. Consider it. Consider what you were. Consider, do your best to remember the passion you had for Jesus. For some of us, it might be a hard thing to remember. But do it. Remember it. Remember it. Because it's possible that the years of being a Christian and the years of being in ministry have moved you away from Christ. So remember. Remember the peace. Remember the peace that you had. Remember the fire. Remember that. Remember the hunger. Do you remember how precious God's word was? And not that you seasoned Christians are not reading the Bible. God knows we are. But do you remember how wonderful it was? Do you remember how you craved Jesus? And the only thing you ever wanted to do now in life, I just want to do something for my Lord. I just want to serve him. I just want to be with him. And that was your, the purity of your heart. The purity of your life. It was all about Jesus. But today, what is it all about? What are you all about? What are you? What are you doing? What are you being? Where are you? Same passion, same fire, same joy, same hunger, same craving for Jesus Christ, only more? Praise God. But if it's not, I'm feeling tired. I feel somewhat burned out. I don't know the rest that I used to know. I don't know the peace that I used to know. 
don't have the passion I used to have. It's all right. There's an answer to that. Come back to Jesus. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when I give you that rest, you learn me that you may find rest for your soul. Preacher, learn me. Sunday school teacher, learn me. Missionary, learn me. Intercessor, learn me. Nothing else. Learn me. And I'll give you everything. So we sing this song in worship before the Lord. Whatever He tells you to do, you do. Whatever He asks of you, you give. It's not about comfort or convenience. It's about knowing Jesus. So what do you do? You come into this altar. Don't come into this altar and say, I will. I'll do this. I'll do that. No, you come into this altar and say, I just want to know you, Jesus. Remove every distraction. Remove every distraction. I want to know you. And you be faithful. You be faithful to the very end.